Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of The New Standard. The New Standard is hosted by yours truly, Lance Williams, and my co-host, Neil Kulong. What's up, Big Neil? You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm still reveling in the the fun of Hall of Fame weekend, watching the the Steelers legends get together, uh, hearing a lot of old Steelers stories, getting to see people with those terrible towels down in Canton. Um, it's a lot of fun. I, I really enjoy what's going on now. I'm looking forward to uh, to another performance tonight, Sunday night. We'll see uh, Big Nasty Alan Fanica uh, finally get in the Hall of Fame even if it is 24 hours after Steve Hutchinson, when at least it should have been the other way around. I'll deal with that. We'll, oh we'll deal with that some other time. Hey, Neil, man, that's perfect for being just an absolute red ass about that. Um, Cause I felt the same way, but it, it is great. And see that that's that's see, that's what happens when you're a Steeler fan is that even when you have success, you can still be a red ass about it. And it's, and it's all acceptable because guess what? I'm pretty sure that Neil speaks for all of Steelers Nation. Big up the Steelers Freak for getting into the live chat early with a question. Steelers <laughs> Freak is ready to roll, and we're going to ask. a question. Well, oh, it's a statement. Well, Steelers Freak is just he doesn't ask questions. Bit. I mean, yeah, he, doesn't make, <laughs> well, he just makes proclamations because he's the freak. He's the freak of the industry. Steelers Freak. But before we get into the program, and the title of the program is obviously. Should the Steelers worry about signing T.J. Watt? But before we get into that, I want to let you know that the podcast is available on YouTube. Do a search for the new standard with Neil Kulong's name attached or my name attached. And please like and subscribe to the program. Also, the pod is available on all streaming platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast, you will find the show. Before we jump into the show, big shout out to some show sponsors. Great dads versus everybody. Big up to Shop Supreme Queen. Big up to my wife's Mary Kay business named the Rookie of the Year. Congratulations to the wife for doing a fantastic job with her Mary Kay business. Also, big shout out to Nothing But Bud Butter. And big shout out to my guy, Charlie Bell, and his company, AssistToScore.com, for youth sports apparel. Make sure you check those guys out. Everybody else, you can find them on their IG and I'll have that in the description of the show. And let's jump into the question at the top in the title of the show. Should the Steelers worry about signing T.J. Watt? We we alluded to some of the things that came out. And let me read um, a tweet from Mark Cabali of The Athletic. He said, Keith Butler acknowledged that T.J. Watt isn't practicing because he has yet to sign his contract. And let me frame the question. The question is obviously, should the Steelers worry about signing T.J. Watt? But I also want to kind of frame it this way. With that question, and also, it's a two-parter. Is this a holdout? Sort of, kind of? I'll make a lot of enemies with this among Steeler Nation, but yeah, it it is a holdout. Um, Exactly. Here's the thing. He's not allowed to hold out. That's why he's doing what he's doing. So he is literally showing up and not doing anything. Whatever you want to call that, fine. But let's not confuse what this really is. Because in reality, Lance, you know this as well as I do, if this is a player that that fans don't particularly like for one reason or another, they're freaking out about this. It's because they worship the ground T.J. Watt walks on. They're going to make excuses until the cows come home and why he's not practicing. The fact of the matter is he's not practicing, and now – 
uh, Butler, for whatever reason, uh, he exposed the secret that anybody that, that can watch the team and, and recognize what they're doing knew this is contract related. And I'm not even saying I'm, I'm for or against whatever, but the amount of excuses that I heard from fans about why uh, TJ Watt wasn't practicing was just embarrassing. I mean, it, it's not because they're saving him. It's not because they have four preseason games. It's not because he doesn't need the practice. He needs to be out there for sure. Mike Tomlin would want him out there, all things being equal. They want to get him signed. But here's the other thing, and I would disagree with, with Mr. Freak as far as uh, it, the, the, the viability of TJ Watt signing with this team. You don't seem to realize what he's capable of asking for, what he's probably going to ask for. He is going to get a, an unprecedented contract in, in, for Pittsburgh by their standards. Teams do not just easily break everything that they do uh, it, from a business standpoint because of this player or that player if he is not a quarterback. Okay, TJ Watt is not a quarterback. He's not no, going he's to be not. a quarterback. He does not have the value of a quarterback. He just simply doesn't. Don't tell me that he does because he doesn't. He, though, based on the market, and you, you really can blame Joey Bosa for this because Joey Bosa, Bosa at this point uh, has really proved to be a, a, a good player and one who is noticeably uh, below the, the level of, of TJ Watt. Two schools of thought on that. You're not paying a player for what he's done. You're paying a player for what he's going to do, what's he, what he's expected to do. Say that again. Um, say, say that again. A player is paid for what he's expected to do, not what he has done, especially exactly. when he's 25, 26 years old. TJ Watt is, by all accounts, um, one of the two best defensive players in the game. I don't think that can be disputed by anybody. The fact that he has not won a defensive player of the year award, I think is arbitrary considering he's been runner up for two consecutive years. I'm not sure how many times that's happened. Um, it, the guy he lost to last year is Aaron freaking Donald, who might end up the best defensive player who's ever played. Uh, keep that in mind. And it was an extremely close decision. You could have gone either way, in my opinion, with that. Um, TJ Watt was not robbed of it either year. He was a very strong candidate in two of those years, but getting back to Bosa. Okay. Joey Bosa's contract what was it? 135 million over five years, something to that effect. Uh, 102 of it guaranteed, 73 of it guaranteed up front. Okay, those are numbers the Steelers have never even come close to paying a defensive player. Never, no, not not within a long shot. Keep in mind, this is the key thing to all of it. They don't have to pay him right now. They do not have to pay him. They can tag him next year for like 17, 18 million. We've seen them use the tag pretty often over the last couple seasons. There is no reason to think, based on, on Pittsburgh's recent track record, that they're not intending to tag him next year. And that might be why Watt isn't practicing. And I wouldn't blame him for that. If they're saying, no, we're not going to talk to you about what your market value is, which is obvious based on what Miles Garrett got in Cleveland, which was, call it, this isn't exact, but call it 10% less than uh, what Bosa got in Los Angeles. Watt's deal it statistically needs to be over those two contracts and Pittsburgh doing just under those two contracts would be signing a deal that they've never even come close to giving to a defensive player. They don't have a quarterback signed, but here's what I know. Um, everyone telling me up and down that Pittsburgh is going to be 11 and six this season or whatever. You're not drafting a quarterback with that record. So if you're not any good and you don't draft a quarterback next season, you're going to have to pay either Mason Rudolph, or Dwayne Haskins in 2023. 
that's when TJ Watt, the, the big dollars of TJ Watt's deal based on what the market is today would, would come into play. They're analyzing all of this. They're putting all of that together. So don't even act like this is a surefire thing. It's not. They, they probably want to tag him next year. On, a, on a, a valuation level, it would be much better for the Steelers to tag, then give him a five-year extension because you get that $17 million uh, valuation in year one, which is a lot less than the cash that they're going to have to pay TJ Watt up front to give him the market deal that he really has earned. He, he is absolutely entitled to, to get, and he would get on an open market. You made a lot of good points. And, and, bef- and before I give you my points, I want to ask one question. What's the impact of, what's the impact of COVID? Is COVID having any impact on the Steelers? I wouldn't say hesitancy, but I'll just use that to do this deal. Um, and secondly, we both believe that the Steelers are sexy tanky. Now, there's been some rumors about, you know, Ben, it's year to year, we'll see, and all that good stuff. I don't believe that. Just how valuable is a T.J. Watt on a team that may not be very good if they don't have a quarterback? So That's an excellent question, isn't it? (laughs) You know, look at those two things. I mean, is it COVID? And if they're they're not going to have a quarterback, and if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a future, is COVID impacting the contract or maybe delaying it? And is there some uncertainty around the quarterback position delaying it as well? How about this? Before we even get into the COVID part, TJ Watt, understandably, um, probably the best edge rusher in the NFL. Alex Highsmith played a phenomenal game against Dallas on Thursday night. You like what you saw out of him. Quincy Roche is a player that they picked up in the sixth round. He had a sack on a, a highly advanced move for a, a, a rookie at pass rusher. These are players they picked up on the cheap in the draft. And if Highsmith made a pretty decent impact as a rookie, not Watt level, but he also wasn't taken in the first round. You sign Mel Ingram for $4 million. That's a trio of pass rushers that, you know, let, let's just say for argument's sake, can step in and, and create the kind of pressure that Pittsburgh tends to develop as a team. Keep in mind, they paid Stefan to it. They paid Cam Hayward. They're going to pay Devin Bush. They're going to pay Minka Fitzpatrick. All these guys factor into that. How much do you want to spend on the one guy that puts up the the sexy stats? Now, I I get totally how good he is, but you have to understand from a business perspective, the Steelers need to save as much money as they can because that's going to be a massive contract to a team that will eventually have to pay a quarterback somewhere, whatever that's going to be. So as far as the COVID piece goes, you and I talked offline ahead of time. Forbes came out recently with their valuations for all the teams in the NFL. According to their numbers, the Steelers operated on a $24.5 million operating income last year. Seems to me like they made money. They've got cash coming in. I know who knows that. It's TJ Watt's agent. He's well aware of that. We also know the the league just entered into a a significant TV rights deal with with several uh, outlets, uh, media, streaming, all of that. That's going to kick into effect in two years. All of these things are things that Watt's representation is looking at in saying, the market's going to increase and we should be on top of all these guys anyway. So I, you know, there's no hometown discount here. Hometown discount right now is That's 10% amazing. over Joey Bosa. Yes. That's it. We can ask for a lot more and yeah, that, we can get it. Yeah, we know that you're going to tag us. So I'm going to tell you now, you tag us, it's 50% above Joey Bosa. And someone's going to pay my client that. You put us in the open market right now, someone will pay that. So ball's in your court. And the Steelers are saying, well, we'll just tag him. And Watt then says, all right, well, I'm not going to practice because 
I'm playing probably half of what I should be getting paid this season. And there's no point in me risking it if we're not going to do that. So uh, one last question again, before I get to my point, how, how, how does that work? Right. I, I'm not getting paid. I'm sexy holding out, you know, so, <laughs> so, you know, I've taken my top off, but not my pants. Right. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm sexy holding out. Right. So how does that work logistically? Is he on site? It, it, is he it, seems, it seems like he shows up, he hangs out, he runs sprints on the side, he eats lunch, and goes goes to his room. I mean, that's pretty I mean, much like, it. Like how, like, how does that work? Like, does he I don't know. The, the, the reason we don't know specifics on this, this is the first year, the new collective bargaining agreement that they signed last year. This is the first year in which it says emphatically teams cannot waive um, uh, uh, fines for missing training camp. So every team is obligated to find a player who doesn't show up to training camp. So they can't hold out. A player can't hold out and dare a team to find them to miss on a day-to-day basis. Um, I guarantee you that's why Aaron Rodgers is in camp and didn't push for, for more and, you know, kind of to, to not have to go through the rigors of training camp. It's because he has to be fined. And it's like up to 50 grand a day. That's a lot of money, even for, for a, an Aaron Rodgers staff yeah, to pay out. Yeah. They're not going to want to do that. So, He's showing up. He's just not doing anything except for running sprints on the sideline, which, to be honest with you, the only reason he's doing that is because there are reporters on site. And to at least show that he's doing something while he's there, probably not going to get hurt running wind sprints. And if he did, then he's got a much bigger problem on his hands than not practicing. He needs to be in shape, and he knows that. But he's not going to engage in any uh, you know, significant contact drills or anything. Uh, until he gets his contract, that is a holdout. I don't know what anybody else wants to argue with with me about it. And the only reason they are is because again, they worship the ground that TJ Watt walks on. The reality is he's holding out. He's holding out for a contract. Um, I, I'm not even saying I disagree with what he's doing. I'm just saying that is it. Don't don't you know put lipstick in a dress on a pig and call it something else. I, I, that bothers me to no degree. Exactly. The local fans know that this is nothing serious. It, it depends on how you want to define serious. Okay, he's not practicing until he gets a contract. He's going to play in the season. That's that's for sure. It suggests to me that he's not real happy with the contract that he has. And if you don't think that that's a serious situation, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, Again, this is covering up for T.J. Watt because we think T.J. Watt is fine. I guarantee you, Lance, I guarantee you, if Minka Fitzpatrick did this, everyone would freak out. And and maybe you know why. But to me, there's no reason why T.J. Watt should not be held to the fire the same way several players who have done more or less what he's doing right now uh, have done. And again, I'm not even saying that I am for or against it. I am saying though, the idea here that the media are, are on one side or the other is absolutely ridiculous. Watt is the one doing this. It has nothing to do with the media. He's not practicing. He's giving reps to other guys to, to step in and play, which is fine. But what it suggests to me is they do not have an amicable situation on their hands regarding T.J. Watt's contractual future with the team. And you, you can't argue that. And I've heard that spun as well. That and, and I thought that was the most laughable, that T.J. kind of sitting out and doing his thing was really helping the team out by getting <laughs> other guys rough. That was like the most ridiculous gotta be thing. got to be kidding me. That was the most That's, ridiculous thing. Like, wow, you, you, you'll you just shovel yeah, whatever like, they tell you to. I mean, like, it's... Yeah, that was ridiculous. And to Lee Pate's point, pick up to Lee Pate. Thanks for hopping onto the program. He said local media and fans know this is nothing serious. National media will make it out to be like it's some huge friction. I'm just going to say this. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I'm just going to say this. I have friction with people 
when I think they're short me $50. Yeah, yeah. Let alone. Truth. Let alone hashtag facts, as people like to say <laughs> now. I have beef if you're trying to short me 50 and I, and I know you owe me 50 There's a certain said person that owes me a bet, you know, on a, on a game that we bet years ago and still owes me the bet. So, you know, like, <laughs> you know, so I'm, but again, I'm just a, a, a regular dude, right? When you make more money, your concern about money doesn't lessen. It increases. So I'm sure he feels like, I'm the best edge rusher in football. My brother has gotten paid handsomely. It's time for me to get some chips. And that's the other thing I don't think that's being mentioned in this is he has a boilerplate to this. He knows how this works yeah, with exactly. his brother, JJ. Which, JJ. which is why I said he was going to hold out last year. Exactly. <laughs> Simply so, because JJ did the same thing. And I mean, JJ got the highest contract in, in NFL history at the time that he had signed it. I mean, you're going to have two brothers, if TJ stays on this arc, that are going to the Hall of Fame. And we'll talk about the Hall of Fame weekend, which was absolutely incredible. It just shows the depth of talent and and just from all different levels of how well the Steeler organization has been run from personnel to coaching to players and that synergy of all three and how that resulted in gold jackets generationally, which was just ridiculous. But anyway, we'll talk about that. TJ ain't happy. Now, I don't know to the level of what that is. But when a right. ball player who respects the craft, and again, he respects the craft because of his brothers and, and the commitment. They're a ball family. They play ball. They understand the importance of ball and how football has changed the Watt family financially, generationally. They understand the importance of the NFL and being compensated fairly and what that means. He's not happy. He would like this to happen where, look, man, I've had more production than any defensive player in the history of the franchise in my first several years. Pay me. Like, this shouldn't be hard, dog. Like, I pay. Exactly. I play. I perform. You pay. Like, that's just the way that this happens. You are but not I giving me the security that somebody in my position should have. Yes. You're making me play into the last year of my contract. Yes. I am grossly underpaid. Facts. I am incredibly talented and Facts. productive. All of these things, it, it, again, this really comes down to how you want to define a, a, a serious issue. To me, bottom lining it, if TJ Watt is, un, is unhappy with his contract, there's a problem, and that's something to be concerned with. Also, fact that you have to look at that matters here, the Steelers do not give out signing bonuses to the level that Watt can easily command. Okay. Easily. Um, Joey Bosa, once again, is the best comparable contract on the market. $35 million signing bonus and a $7 million roster bonus due that year. That means they paid him $42 million on top of his salary for that season. The Steelers do not pay out that much money in one season to one player. They don't. Okay. Ask Cam Hayward. Why do you think Cam Hayward got a huge advance in March? It's because they gave him a roster bonus in year two after he signed the contract. So he had to play through that year one before being able to get that money. That's how the Steelers structure their contracts. They put it into kind of a year-by-year -year, um, structure. We're going to give you some upfront. We'll give you a $14, $15 million signing bonus. And then we're going to take the other half of your market signing bonus and put it into a roster bonus in year two. So in other words, you play through year one, you make it to March, you're doing everything that we want you to do. 
you got another one coming. Then we'll restructure your contract. We'll make it into a signing bonus. We'll probably put it onto your, your game check, and you'll get it throughout the season guaranteed. That's how they structure things. Other teams don't do it like that. I'm not saying the Steelers can't. I'm not saying that they won't. I'm saying that they don't, and that's a fact. So it, the money that T.J. Watt per market right now, in other words, not – my invention, not the media's creation, not his agent's desire, the market, what has been signed for players of a similar ability as him shows he can get three times what the Steelers have given in a signing bonus to a defensive player and at the same level of a signing bonus that they've given Ben Roethlisberger. If you think that that's something that, that's just going to change, I don't know what to tell you. He would have been signed by now. He would not be skipping camp or whatever you want to call it. He would not be showing up to run five wind sprints and drink water all day. He'd be doing something. <laughs> He's not. That is a problem. Yes, it is a problem. And I think Lee hit it on the head. And, and big up to Lee Pate again for another comment. Fans also have to start having a different mindset about the new generation of players and that it's a good chance we will only have a player for four to five years after drafting yep. them and to not get too attached. And and, and, and Lee had it on, hit it on the head. And, and, and to the other points that I had around this, I think you're absolutely 100% right, Neil. This is a holdout because of who it is and because he's, and I'm using this term intentionally, the golden boy. And you can define that in as yep. many ways as you yes. like. That's me trying to say what I'd like to say without saying what I'd like to say. Say that a couple of times. See, you see, we, how I, we hated Le'Veon Bell for doing a lot of the same stuff. It, it, you know? Exactly. It, it, the difference was Bell had confidence that they weren't going to fine him for missing every single day. The CBA today mandates that they find them. That's why Watt is there. Otherwise, Watt would be doing the exact same thing that Le'Veon Bell did. That make no mistake about that. There is nothing that you exactly. can say that, that shows that situation is different. Exactly. It is exactly the same. So let's cap this off by asking it this way. On a scale of 1 to 10, should fans be worried about this whole situation with T.J. Watt and his contract? How worried should fans be on a scale to 1 to 10? 1 being, nah, 10 being, oh, we may not have T.J. Watt. If it, this again, it, it all comes down to how you want to define it. TJ Watt will absolutely be playing in week one. He's not going to not play. Um, some fans aren't going to see that as an issue. I see a team that is not making a run to a Super Bowl this year. So I see a team that is currently negotiating on a fifth year option with their best player uh, on a long term deal. If they want to continue to build their franchise in a long-term fashion, which is what I believe they're doing based on the, the draft choices that they made, uh, how early a lot of these guys are going to play. If, if they want to have their core group in place, I'm extremely worried because, well, he, he's not signed. You know, it's that simple. He's not under contract with them next year. So they tag him. He doesn't have to sign that. He misses two camps in a row. He very easily can do that. Um to, to another point, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to jump around on this. Um, Keith Butler had said he had not signed his contract yet, which can imply a couple different things. Um, he has his option. His option was picked up. He signed that contract. So he is obligated to be at training camp. He does not have to sign the franchise tag they give him next year. So the situation is different next season. And you know the Steelers, they're not negotiating after camp. So. Yep. Really, to me, they're, they, you're on the edge of an extremely difficult situation. And if it goes Absolutely. past camp without a contract in place, 
they're going down the, the avenue of a, a serious problem. Right now, I would say, honestly, a five, because I don't necessarily think that TJ Watt needs to be participating in camp. Um, I don't think that, that that's the, the biggest deal for them to worry about, but it's a nine in the sense that what they do now is going to affect them this time next year. So I, I think it's a mix of both. It, it's not going to affect this season, but they have a limited window in which they can get the deal done, and it will be an issue next season because he, he won't sign and he won't report to camp next year at all. So Neil Stradamus, is he a stealer? Is he signing a long-term contract? I, I predicted the tag on this show back in, in April when we were first doing it. Everything leads into a tag. And I think it's simply because the Steelers don't give out contracts to the level that, that he's going to want. I, I wouldn't even be surprised if they tag him twice. I, I think they're willing to do that. Um, it's less cash that they have to pay up front. You keep in mind, you remember when the Raiders traded Khalil Mack? Everybody thought yeah, that was absolutely yeah. crazy. Well, it was. You know why they didn't trade him? Or why they traded him? Because they didn't have the cash to pay him. They couldn't. They had to trade him. They got huge value for him, and I think the Steelers would listen. If, if a team is going to come back and offer this much money, you, you like what you see from Highsmith so far. You really should. You can get a veteran on the market, a guy like Mel Ingram. Um, who knows? Maybe they trade TJ, and maybe they, they, they sign Ingram to an extension that, that's a quarter of what Watt wants. They have options. They're not good options, but they have options. I wish I had a drum roll because I would do it on this show. <clears throat> da, 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 da. That's a terrible drum roll. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to go Landstradamus. I am agree with you that he'll get tagged for next year, so he'll play this year and next year. I don't think T.J. Watt will be a Steeler after he gets the tag next year. And it's largely because I don't think they will have identified the quarterback of the future and I think a superior pass rusher on a team that does not have a very good quarterback in a division that has three quarterbacks, when you've got Baker, Lamar, and you've got Joe Burrow, and they've got their quarterback situation solidified, it, it just doesn't warrant paying that much money to a, a, a pass rusher. Because I don't—I mean, look, pass rushers impact the game. They, they're not quarterbacks, though. I mean, who cares if you don't have a quarterback and superior pass rushers? You're not winning games 15-13 anymore. You'll still get your doors blown off. So I don't think T.J. Watt will be with the Steelers long term. I think they're going to get seven years out of him or six years out of him, and that'll be that. And to Lee Pate's point, I don't think he'll be a Steeler moving forward. Let's jump into another issue before we jump into the game. Thursday's Hall of Fame game. And we jump into the Hall of Fame ceremony and your thoughts about the ceremony. It was reported earlier this week that James Washington had requested a trade by Adam Schefter. Then Jerry Dulac came out and said that that wasn't correct. Tomlin came out and said that that wasn't correct as well. Now, let me, before I ask you your question, define local media and national media. Are you national, Neil, or are you local, or are you kind of a hybrid? I would probably be considered national. Um, okay. I am not actively covering any one specific team. I'm covering the, the news and the transactions of the league. So it, it I would not be a, a, a local reporter. Um, I also probably wouldn't be considered much of a reporter in this case. Uh, I'm an editor. I, I manage okay. those reporters. Um, there definitely is a difference, though, and I, I know where you're going with this. 
I would say, honestly, I can fill in the blanks with 99 degree certainty, 99% certainty of how this happened. Adam Schefter did not make that up. Okay. Somebody told Adam Schefter that. I also believe somebody told the Steelers what they heard. It is not a, a one-to-one transactional relationship in the NFL. There are a lot of people that represent everybody. And a source, somebody close to the situation or the subject, that can mean a lot of different people. And they can have a, a, a vastly different interpretation of what's going on. I will say this, though, knowing the dichotomy of the NFL, <clears throat> as far as their communication goes, it's not a coincidence that probably, I'm going to loosely estimate, 75% of the news, the transactional news that's broken in the NFL comes from Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport. Yeah. I will tell you this from experience. The people who are telling Schefter and Rappaport those things are agents. The reason they're telling those two is because they're the biggest. The reason they're the biggest is because they work for the, the outlets that cover to the NFL the most valuable rights holders. ESPN and their own internal network. They want the news funneled to these people. ESPN wants to pay the NFL. I don't have the number in front of me. $1.7 billion a year for 10 years. They want to be able to do that. ESPN wants to be able to get that information if they're paying that much money to air the broadcast, to air games. So what happens? They want the information. So the league makes sure that those guys have accurate information. I know that this royally offend Steelers fans. These things, it's not an accident. It's not a mistake. Adam Schefter gets paid. I'm not exaggerating. $10 million a year. He's not wrong. Okay. Somebody told him that. Somebody of of importance told him that. Also, where there's smoke, there's fire. Did you see Chase Claypool Thursday? How good did he look? Washington didn't get a play. He's not getting on the field when 11's out there. That's the role that they asked Washington to play. The problem is, though, and this is where it all comes in, and I'm, I'm treading lightly on all this, Washington is a talented player. I like James Washington a lot. Very I think, good player. I think he's going to get a, a pretty decent contract next season. When I say decent, I'm talking two years, $9 million, something like that. that. That's a good contract for a, a veteran receiver of the ability that he has. He's not a 180-catch guy or 180-target guy, but he's good. He can be a, a, a transitional role player kind of guy. He'd be great in Kansas City. I could see them wanting to pay him something like that. So stop there, stop there real quick. Let me just ask you from a contract perspective. Juju's at eight million. You mm-hmm. see at eight million. So you do you see James Washington getting I'm looking at the contracts. We got AJ Green at six million, uh Devontae Smith, the rookie at five million. You have him somewhere in between eight and five million? I put him closer four to five. Tops five might be kind of a stretch, a leverage situation for five. Uh, he's probably a four million kind of guy, uh, based on the, the teams. Teams kind of have the leverage of, well, you don't have a whole lot, especially not your last two years. I can't go off your most productive year, which was two years ago. I have to look at where you are now. But the Steelers brought in Chase Claypool to, to play Washington's position. I don't think they brought Claypool in. Because they hated Washington. I think they took Claypool, and you're seeing clearly now why they took him. He was there in the second round. He shouldn't have been there in the second round. He's he's not second-round talent. Um, what they've done with Claypool 
uh, is pretty remarkable. They got him to shed 20 pounds. He's going to be a beast. Claypool's going to have a big year. He looked really, really good uh, physically. I know he dropped the pass, but it, he he looks good. He's going to be a player for them this season. Washington just ends up the, the odd man out. You can understand why um, Washington would be frustrated um, considering he's in a contract year. He doesn't have the ability to, to earn – more on what his projection is probably going to be because they're going to get the ball to Claypool come hell or high water. He's not going to leave the field. So that creates a bit of a problem. I am not at all surprised if Washington said to somebody in his representation, I want to be traded. I'm going to ask for a trade. That person then went to Schefter who reported it. Things get blown up like they always do. Washington doesn't about face and goes and tells Tomlin, no, no, I'm not asking for that. I get it. It's cool. No worries. And then Tomlin goes and says, no, there's nothing here. Both of these sides, both of these things can happen. And oftentimes they do. It is not one person speaking out of both sides of their mouth. It's a lot of people who are involved in the situation and no one's going to be named. Dulac isn't going to name anybody. Schefter isn't going to name anybody. And those are very likely not the same people. That doesn't mean, though, that Washington is happy with his situation. He just right, realizes, too, right, if he right. goes and demands a trade, the Steelers aren't going to get anything back, and right. the Steelers don't have any depth. That, that, that's the, the tricky thing with depth in the NFL. You have it until you need it. Then when you need it, right. it's gone. You don't have any more. Washington, right. to them, is far more valuable in the position that he's in right now than he would be on the trade block, where a team might give up a, maybe a six-round pick for him maybe. because he's in the final year of his contract. Yeah. There's no value to a team. There's no value. You just wait. And if you think he's valuable, you wait till he's a UFC. Exactly. exactly. Let me let me let me get to Carmichael Steelers fan. Pick up the Carmichael Steelers fan. I can be out in Carmichael every once in a while. Um, good old Adam Shefty. He's been reporting false news in the Aaron Rodgers situation. And, and, and I'm glad it's that it's the you... exact same thing. It's the and, exact same thing. You can't tell me that it didn't happen. Clearly, it did. Rogers had to have a half an hour long press conference talking about it. All of the stuff that Roger, all the stuff that Schefter said, it, it was what's happening behind the scenes happened. Okay, period. Here's it the, happened. Here's the thing I would say to Carmichael Steelers fan, and that's why I put up in the chat fluid. So I would replace the word exactly. fluid. He said, "Good old Adam Schefter. He's been reporting." I would say fluid news mm-hmm. in the Aaron situation. The point is, as you as you really well illustrated, is this is fluid. It's it, this is changing in real time. Like these conversations and stuff yep. that's happening, it's changing in real time. So at one point in the day, he did request a trade, and then later he didn't. Both things are true. It's Let's keep in mind too. There's the there's not like a formal application that he has to fill out to request right. a trade. You know, he can just say that he wants to be traded, and somebody can fairly interpret that as he's requesting a trade. It's not a formal distinction. So if he's pissed off after the game because he didn't play, and the only target he got was a, a terrible pass by Mason Rudolph, I don't blame him for being upset. He could have said it then. You know. Plus, interestingly enough, you might have seen this. On, on Twitter during the game, Des Bryant was proposing trades for James Washington. Maybe he yeah, has something to do with that. it. You know, I, I, I don't know why. It just it, I don't know what the connection is between the two. But what else is Des talking about? It could be that we we don't we don't know the veracity of whoever was making the comment. But where there's smoke, there's fire. James Washington seems like he would have a, a reasonable. Um, it request if he did want to be traded. I don't think that that's out of line to suggest at all. 
Yeah, and uh, well, let me ask the last part of this, and then we'll just talk about him briefly as a football player. So in these situations, who should fans – If I think we've done a good job of saying that both Dulock and Schefter were correct in their reporting, but they were just reporting it at different times. And it just happened and – it, and it's kind of rare in this type of situation that it kind of comes out this fast like this where it's almost like in the same 24-hour period. But but who should fans trust more? And, and that's why I asked you initially. Should they trust Adam Schefter more, or should they trust Jerry Dulock or local guys more? Uh, that's that's tough to say. I, I hate being judge and jury on people in the media just because I understand. Um, or is it individuals? Is it, it's more so individuals, more so than the distinction of. I think where more you're than at. more than anything, to me, I'll say this: I, I'm ninety nine point nine percent sure no one's going to agree with me. You can trust NFL media because of exactly what you put in the chat. These are fluid situations. The problem is who you don't trust are the people in social media that bend the situation around and create something that doesn't exist. And that, that's exactly what's happening here. It, like I explained, what Dulac is, is reporting does not have to be contrary to what Schefter reported. Both of those things could have happened. On top of that, right. the Steelers are plenty motivated to not confirm that James Washington did not make this formal process that doesn't exist. He didn't request a trade. That's what they said. No, that did not happen. Does that mean that James Washington doesn't want to be traded? No, it, it just means that there is no formal process to request a trade. So for them to say he didn't request a trade, all that means is they didn't. He didn't come up and, and tell them that's what they wanted. Okay. Hey, Mike, if anything, if anything, what that really means is we know then that Schefter's source is coming from Washington's camp, not Pittsburgh's. We also yes. know yes. logically, as as fans of this, as people who follow this, there's no incentive for the Steelers to trade him anyway. So why are they going to say that they want to trade him? It's not a question of of who we believe and who we don't. It's a question of recognizing what the situation is and not just going off what some Yahoo with a fake name on on Twitter uh, says about the situation. They don't know, okay? Schefter is reliable. Jerry Dulac is reliable. You can believe what they say. Just recognize that. One source can say one thing on Wednesday and another source can say another thing on Thursday. And both of those things can be true. That's what I feel happened here. And I think it it goes back to the root of it. Schefter is reporting information that he gets. And I I trust that Schefter is reporting it. He might not be straining it, but he's reporting it. I mean, he's, he's getting the information and reporting it. Lastly, on the James Washington thing, before we jump into your thoughts and our thoughts on the Hall of Fame game, I'm looking at a stretch. I'm looking at his game splits last year. There was a four-game stretch where he got six targets. He got one target against Tennessee, uh, one target against Baltimore, two targets against Dallas, and two targets against Cincinnati. He got six targets in four games. There's a lot of information, a lot of been made about Matt Canada and his new offense and so on and so forth. And I ask you your thoughts about that in the Hall of Fame game. Is there any way that he can get more targets? I mean, six targets in four games, that that's just, 
I mean, I can understand his frustration there. And I, and I think what came out of this in our discussion of this is the one thing that's true about all of this is he's frustrated. But how does he get more touches? And in fact, his high of touches in a game was seven touches against Cleveland when they beat Cleveland early in the season, 38 to seven. Do you foresee him getting any additional touches this year? His total touches for last year were 56. What's his role in this offense? There's a couple things with this that we need to remember, too. You might recall uh, there was a point after I I believe it came um, directly after that cold streak that you just talked about, the six targets in, in four weeks. There was a point where Ben Roethlisberger openly said he wanted James Washington on the field more often. Right, I remember. At the same time, we saw a, a not coincidental decline in, um, in, in, in Chase Claypool's targets. They're playing the same position. So the Steelers, at that point, uh, promoted, if you will, Washington. He got a bit more run toward the end of the season, and Claypool got less. Claypool was averaging like eight targets a game through the first 10 games, I think, and then it fell off the, the cliff after that. Do you remember, <clears throat> excuse me, do you remember, I believe it was right after uh, the playoff loss, a week or so after that, Bob Labriola of Steelers.com said, just kind of, you know, in a chat sort of randomly, um, because of maturity issues with Chase Claypool, they weren't sure how reliable he was going to be. He said that it, it didn't seem like it really came from anywhere. There was the, the Claypool issue after the game where he, dared offend people to say that he hopes that Cleveland loses the next week as, as if that's a big deal. But along with Roethlisberger's seemingly odd timing of requesting that the Washington get more and Claypool uh, fall off after that, it seems to me like something happened with Claypool. I don't know what that would be, but I think again, I've, I've said this a couple times where there's smoke, there's fire. It seems like Claypool rubbed people the wrong way. Uh, this is a franchise that tends to to kind of use the media um, to to put rookies in their place. They don't like rookies being too big for for what they're doing. Claypool's a pretty demonstrative kind of guy. You could see him, you know, perhaps being a little little too sure of himself too early in his career. Um, maybe they put him on notice with that. Maybe Ben didn't like the the work that Claypool was putting in and wanted Washington because Washington's put the work in. Um, all of that said, I'll go back to to what I had suggested earlier. Just one preseason game, I know, but Chase Claypool looked like he was an all-around stud. He did a lot of things, and he looked really good in the limited action that he had. We'll we'll see how this progresses, but I see Claypool being a, a dude this year. I, I think um, he has the physical ability to dominate, which I'm not sure we necessarily saw that right away uh, as a young player. He had a couple tricks, but not many. As the year went on, he was doing more and more, and he, he looks really good. Um, it looked to me like they used him short, long in the run game. He was doing a lot right away for him. So as far as Washington goes, I, you can't put them both on the field unless you're going to change Washington's position, which they clearly haven't done. So uh, all things being equal, if we're talking best player at the time, injury-free, I think it's Claypool. I don't think Washington's yeah. going to get a whole lot. Yeah, he's going to get those 56 snaps. So I'm glad you talked about Claypool. <laughs> in his performance in the game. And so that will allow us to pivot to the game. Let me ask you two questions. I'm going to combine these two because we're kind of late in the show. How would you, how would, what were your observations of the game and and how do you think fans should evaluate preseason games? Uh, Let's start with that first. I think it's important to, to 
provide the proper context to preseason. Um, they may have scripted plays. The offense, your team's offense may have scripted plays going into it. In other words, we're going to run these things because this is what we want to do. They have not written that script up in relation to the defense that they're going to see. So right. what we see is a lot of what we saw in the first drive with the Steelers, a lot of great stuff and a lot of horrifying stuff. That tends to happen when you don't have any sense of what the other team is going to do and you don't even care. It doesn't matter. You're, you're running for execution. Um, that said, I would say this, and it, it, the easy ask, answer me, is, is about real quick before okay. you, before you continue that script, is that based on something that the coaches have seen in practice that they want to see run and see how guys execute it? Yeah. Or is the script just the script? Your script. If, if you are scripting, which I'm, you're going to for most games, it's just easier You get out there instead of thinking up something off the fly, you've got an idea of what you want to call it's basic stuff. It, it's stuff that you are going to call during the season, whether it's the exact play. Um, it, it's it's simple things that they're going to need to rely on that season, and they want to see uh, what everyone looks like while they're doing it. In fact, you might even see that same script used for the backups uh, whenever it is that they come in. Uh, just to, to give everybody a sense of this is what we run, we're evaluating you on these things because we know – this concept is going to be something we rely heavily on this season. You need to be able to run these things well. And if you do, that's a leg up for you. If you can't, it might be the end of the road for you. So they, they want to have a plan of what they can depend on. And the guys that show that they can run these things are going to be guys that they want in, in the trenches when the bullets are flying. So will they, will, will they call that play twice to see if a guy – two guys playing the same position, how they run that play. So they have that, yeah, for that sure. play on film so they can evaluate. They so could, yeah. All the same exact play. Okay. If they or do it that similar. comparatively, uh, keep in mind too, I, I'm suggesting in this environment, it would literally be everyone is competing for a job. There are some guys there that have right. a job. You know, we, we know right. that. Um, if it's stuff that they worked on in camp, there are things that they want everyone to be able to do. As a unit, the offensive line drilled heavily in outside zone. They ran outside zone a couple times. Um, early they ran inside zone a couple times Th that's a concept that they're going to use um, however it is that they specifically use it is one thing seeing the line uh, move in unison seeing them uh, in rhythm with the, the other players who are out there watching them make the decisions that they make those are all things that they can coach they want to get that on tape because these are concepts that they're going to use uh, when when the regular season starts so what were your observations of the game? What did you what, what stood out for you in the game? I think the, the easiest thing everyone's going to jump on right away is the quarterbacks. But I, I'll, I'll say this. I don't think that we crowned a champion of the quarterbacks on, no, on I Thursday. Agree. I, agree. I thought we saw some good things from Rudolph. I, th I thought we saw some good things from Haskins. I thought we saw probably more um, than those two from Dobbs. Uh, I thought Dobbs played really well. I, I was impressed with what he was able to do. Uh, it, was a, it was a solid quarterback game. I'll bet they all graded out fairly well uh, for what they asked him to do. Um, also, I have not seen the all 22 of, of Haskins. So yeah, they don't, they don't, and they don't in game pass. And no, I want to get they, game pass. for the they preseason. They won't, they do don't that. put it out. Yeah. No, that's a competitive thing and you won't get that. So when people are talking about Haskins only check down, we don't know what his options were exactly. down the field. We don't know yeah. if they blanketed coverage on two of them. Um, what we do know is the difference between Haskins and Do Haskins and, and Rudolph, excuse me, was the throw to Claypool. Now, Claypool did not play with Haskins, 
Uh, he played with the ones and he sat for the night after he fell on the ball after the, the big gainer that, that Rudolph threw to him. Great throw. Um, Haskins did not have Claypool to throw to. Haskins did not have a situation where he got to see Claypool in single coverage on the outside. Um, I like to think that Haskins would be able to recognize that and probably get him the ball if, if that was the situation. But it doesn't mean that Rudolph outplayed Haskins or anything like that. I, I thought both of them played well uh, for what they had. Both of them made some mistakes. Um but they did okay. Beside that, though, what I was really impressed with Lance was uh, the pass protection that we saw from the offensive line. I didn't expect that. Uh, every quarterback had time. That yeah. was that was yeah. probably the biggest concern everybody had and has of the Steelers this season was their the offensive line and their pass protection. I thought it looked pretty good. Conversely, I didn't think they blocked against the run very well, which I thought they would do. So for me, I kind of left it like, wow. I'm not sure who they're going to be. You know, I I, I don't know. But um, Dan Moore started at left tackle. We saw that. They, they had, you know, a group of ones out there. Uh, otherwise, I, I don't – where I sit today, maybe somebody can put this in the chat. I don't know where a core four is as far as injuries go. But I, I know that um, Moore got the start at left tackle. Um, I thought their pass protection looked pretty good. Now, I don't think Dallas blitzed a whole lot. I don't think they threw much, you know, creative stuff at them. But they, they held up for what they were asked to do. Um, I don't think they blocked on the ground very well. I don't think their they're, they're run blocking, uh, it didn't look particularly good to me. Um, I didn't think Harris looked exceptional, probably mostly because of that, the, the lack of, of opportunity that he had. He did okay. Um, yeah, he got some if, if it's a year, <clears throat> excuse me, if it's a year in which um, Harris is going to have to make five out of you know, uh, 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 being hit at the one, I don't know how it's effective Harris year. is going to have to be. Yeah, it's going to be a long year regardless of what a Harris ends up doing. He's going to get beaten up pretty good. I know that. And that very well could be the case. Uh, Harris is not a, a play-breaking kind of running back. So if that's the, the plotting, fall forward and get two more yards to try to move the chains, if that's what they're going to do, okay, but don't expect a whole lot from them, generally speaking. Um, then we saw exactly what we expect to see. But um, overall, I, I thought quarterbacks availed themselves pretty well. I really liked the way Claypool looked, um, moving, uh, playing in space, blocking, carrying the ball. I, I thought he did pretty well. The handoff issue between he and Rudolph is a timing thing. I would probably put that more on Claypool than on Rudolph. He has to be behind the ball, regardless of whether he's getting it or not. He has to be behind the ball. Um the ball being snapped when he's past Rudolph doesn't do any good for anybody. He's in no man's land at that spot. If there's any value to the jet sweep, the ball has to be handed off before the runner gets to the quarterback. So right, there's right. a timing issue between those two. That's something you work out. Um, not worried about that. Claypool to me looked the best, I think out of anybody uh, of prominence on the team. Um, really like the pass rush. I like what I saw out of Highsmith. Um, yeah, Highsmith. Boy, really he, good. He's a good player. I mean, it's just like yeah. he, he isn't, the sexy TJ Watt kind of pass rusher, but the dude just gets it done. You know, yeah. he, he just lands. Um, he's fun to watch. I, I really like the, the workman approach that he has. Not a great athlete. He just makes it happen. Um, the, the one you and I were texting about during the game as well. I, I really, um, I, I enjoyed watching Antoine Brooks. I thought it was like Mike Hilton, the Mike Hilton strategy on steroids. He looked more like an edge rusher than a defensive back. They were sending yeah, him on every play. It was like, wow. I got to look at him some more. I got I, I got to take another look at Brooks. I enjoyed 
his nose for the ball. He wants to be out there. He's the kind of guy that, that you you want as a football player to, to see have some success. Um, I, I like the way that they're using that nickel position. It, it's not they're, – they're throwing it back at the offense. Great. You put four receivers on the field. My guy's here. Come hell or high water, my guy is here, and I'm going to use him as a rusher. If you don't feel the need to, to run a receiver around him, he's going to rush. He's not going to drop back into his own. Um, they did that with Hilton. It just seemed like Brooks did it more often than, than Hilton ever did. Um, right. I, I liked his makeup for that. He, he's going to be fun to watch. I think he's a guy to keep an eye on the rest of preseason. I think, to your point, they sent him that much to see how good he could do it. And that's part of the evaluation of him, I think, as a player. They want to see him and see if he can do that because I think that's critical to what they do on defense. I thought overall, I thought it was solid. I mean, it's a first preseason game. Um, you know, the one play that jumped out to me in terms of a signature play was, you know, I like that they were able to punch the ball into the end zone in the red zone. Um, I think with Balage late in the game and the movement that they got uh, being able to put defensive lineman's hills in the end zone i thought that was a solid uh, a solid play there other than that i mean for me at least this early in preseason i think it's critical that everybody comes out of the games you know not being hurt uh so overall you know i, I kind of liked what i see i mean ug3 with the missed tackle kind of stood out um cool. you know you know kind of a lack of physicality there i mean but it's not much to take i think we'll see a little bit more um, next week, I'm not sure if Ben will play again um, next week. He probably won't play till I would guess the third preseason game. I do think there is an opportunity for Haskins to possibly be the number two quarterback. I think I don't think the Steelers are saying it's an open competition, but if he won the competition, I don't know if the Steelers would necessarily be mad. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those. Um, but let me. But the last point I want you to make on this game before we talk about the Hall of Fame ceremony um, is you talked about the grading of players. There was a very interesting play uh, with Justin Lane who got beat on a dig, but hustled and created a turnover. How do, how do coaches grade that play? Cause he did get beat, but he did hustle and make a good play and cause the turnover. How, how, how do coaches grade that? I, I think exactly as you describe it, there was, um, I don't know if that was the best coverage we've ever seen. Um, it, it coverage is not as pass fail as people think that it is. Okay. Um, it's hard. It, it's a completions league. The NFL has done everything it can possibly do to encourage uh, pass completions. They they want to throw the ball. Uh, at, as a defender playing inside of a zone against five receivers, passes are going to be completed. Now, <clears throat> did Lane uh, compete particularly well? for that off of the stem of the receiver. In other words, when he breaks, was he there competing for the space? Probably not. I don't think he looked as quick as, as what you would hope um, to be able to try to get in there. But at the same time, uh, defensive backs today, especially when the ball is up in the air, the receiver goes up, they will sometimes, and some of this is to avoid the penalty and the fine. They're going to let the ball be caught and then attack it because you're not hitting the guy's head that way. Uh, it's a vulnerable spot for the receiver to, to go up above you know, his shoulders, catch the ball, come down have to, without the friction of your feet to help support uh, taking a, a shot from the defender. I, I think you credit him with the fact that they were able to wrench the ball away. Now, I, I remember the play. I don't want to misspeak and, and give the wrong guy credit, but 
uh, Lane was the one who caused that, right? He he came yes, to the ground. Lane so, yeah. Lane took the ball away yeah. or punched it out from behind him. From behind, from behind. And, and a nice recovery on the play, which is what the defenders did. Now, 10 years ago, you would have had two guys launching from, from the tips of their toes into the receiver's chest and trying to dislodge the ball. You can't do that anymore. So the reality is for them to make a play at that spot on the field after a good throw, good catch – uh, that's what they have to do. So to some degree, I think Lane is okay in that situation, and you're going to have – I mean, obviously the, the result of it uh, is pretty advantageous for, for Pittsburgh, so you want to be able to credit him positively with that. Giving up the catch in and of itself in the middle of the field, you know, you, you can't score a whole lot off of that situation. I'm not saying that he, he didn't lose the play to some degree, but – for me, I would have to evaluate the entire play, not just the coverage okay. piece of it, because they're going to tackle a lot of catches. That's the NFL. Um, right. The worst quarterbacks complete 59% of the throws. So it, it's not, you know, no longer are the days where we have, you know, Joey Porter teeing off the edge on a Bengals also ran quarterback who's going to complete four of 15 for that day. We don't have that anymore. It, it's It's really pretty much impossible to say, a quarterback is going to complete fewer than 18 throws. You know, it just, it just right, won't happen. Right, right, right. They have to be trained for after the catch. That well, That's today's defensive back. Well, I got to get my Cleveland Browns dig in. Baker Mayfield may be less than 50% on a day, but, you know. We've, we've seen that. We've <laughs> yes, seen that. Yeah. You know, sometimes. It's week feels, six or whatever that was. Six. <laughs> sometimes figure, he feels right? dangerous. And yep. He, sometimes he, he, he just he, is dangerous to his own team. You know, he, he <laughs> completes more than those. And, and that's a that's a good perspective. I mean, that's kind of how I see it. You know, I wanted to just give people listening to this show a lens to it that the play is whistle to whistle. It's and it would be kind of hard to grade play to, to micro chop plays and grade those. And you know, it, it was probably the complete play in which he got graded on. But let me give you my thoughts on the Hall of Fame game. Give me yours, and then we'll get out here and let people know what you got coming up next week. Um, you know, Troy, I don't know if people saw Troy Palomalu's comments, but I, I think those resonated with me about, and I was glad that Troy recovered enough from COVID and, and was able to clear protocols to come out and be able to do that. That would have been really tough, you know, not being there in 2020 because of COVID and then him catching. That would have been just a rough, uh, just a rough for him. But I think he talked about it best, about what it means to wear the black and gold, the standard that that means. And just when you've done it right, when he talked about how the legends would say they would want you to play with us. And I think it just shows the type of organization that the Steelers are, that you have five guys going to the hall on one weekend and you've got front office player personnel and Bill Nunn Sr. Big up to Bill Nunn and his family. Big up to those guys. Um, you know, my family is close with the Nunn family. Coaches, front office coaching, and then players. You need all those three elements to be a successful franchise. And it's and it, and it just dawned on me. I mean, it's generational. You got Nunn, it's a cower. Then you got Fanica, Troy, Donnie, Shell. I mean, it's just incredible just how good and how consistent this organization has been over the last 50 years. What did you take away from the Hall of Fame ceremony? I just think it, it, it these things always make me feel kind of old. Um, well, I'm older. I'm at, I'm at the point where it's like I watched these guys in my adult years, 
and seeing them up on stage, it's like, wow, they look so young. Isaac Bruce looks like he could still be playing. Right. Steve Hutchinson doesn't look old. Um, we really got to know these guys. You know, we're, we're past the, these are the guys of my childhood. Now it's right. the, the adult days. And in my generation for the Steelers, Troy Polamalu was the mean Joe Green. You know, he right. was the, the, the figurehead of everything. Troy was the most popular player on the team by far. Uh, he's the legend as far as we're concerned. We grew up in, in our adulthood with Polamalu. Um, I was a senior in college when they drafted him. And I remember uh, you saw the highlights of him and, you know, just how uh, explosive he was, how strong he played the game. And the general thought was this guy's not going to last three years. You know, <laughs> he's going to kill himself out there. And uh, maybe he did. And he just played through it anyway. But the plays, and you, you saw that man's highlight reel last night. He did that. I mean, you put all that together. If you were to put five minutes of film of Troy Polamalu together, you'd leave out three hours worth of plays that are very similar to it, first off. And secondly, it's barely human. I mean, just the, the, on a play-by-play basis, the stuff that Polamalu did on the field, it's unbelievable. And watching him up there put on the gold jacket, it, it, it feels less like legend and more like friend. You know, this is the guy right, that we right, knew. Absolutely. We grew up with this guy. Uh, he's your buddy. I mean, it, it, it's it. I'm not trying to trivialize anything to do with Troy Polamalu. It, it's just it, it's such a, a, a completed feeling to see a guy like that um, receive the honor, which we all knew. You know, we knew Troy was a first ballot Hall of Famer 14 years ago. You know, it, it's not like this is any surprise it, to see that kind of it, it, in in a culmination, culminary fashion that. It, it, it's done for him now. Part of me is just kind of hollow, you know, as great as Minka Fitzpatrick is, how much fun it is to watch him for his own stuff. He's a totally different player, but that's the safety now. It's like, right. yeah, he's no Troy. I mean, it's just, there, there's the, <laughs> right, the right, there's right. the nostalgia of youth that comes with that, you know, not childhood, but adulthood, early adulthood. In my twenties, it was going ballistic uh, on the field. Anytime Troy Palomala was out there because Troy's going to do something. You know, right. it, it, we, we never thought anybody would jump over the pile. And he did. Kerry Collins didn't think he was going to jump over the pile. Troy landed on Kerry Collins. Kerry Collins wasn't a small dude. Okay. He's 6'4, 220. Not a small dude. Polamalu landed on top of him and Collins crumpled like a, a soda can. I mean, it was just unbelievable to watch. It was just, he was so unconventional of a player to, to be able to see that. Um, in honored in such a way, and it's not just Steeler Nation that, that loves this guy. It's seeing uh, everything that that he did on the field, and everybody else appreciate, um, and seeing other Hall of Famers say the same thing about him. It, it really felt kind of you know proud. It was like he's one of us. It, it's it completely ridiculous, I know, but it, it's it, it was great to see that. I'm looking forward to seeing Alan Fanica honored a, a very similar way tonight. Um, Longer overdue for sure, not Donnie Shell long overdue, but long overdue. And we're, we're happy to see our guys get this honor and be able Absolutely. to kind of go back into those, go back into that mentality and in that perspective and, and live again for a little bit. Yeah, I think you said it best when you said our guys. And I think that's what it means, you know, when you're a fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers and you're a fan of the black and gold, it's our guys. And I think, you know, at my age, I'm 51. So, you know, I lived, I was very young through the curtain 
era. And that's where I got my love of football. It was passed down to me from, you know, all my family living on the north side and being connected with the Rooney, Rooney family as being north siders. And it's it's that our guy, our guys, the boys. And that's what the Steelers are called. You know, in Pittsburgh, it's the boys. You don't even call them Steeler players, or at least maybe that's generational. You know, the boys, you know, the boys going to play on Sunday. I mean, I, I mean, I grew up hearing that, you know, every week. And so it was great to see uh, Canton turn black and gold. What do you guys have for um, the fans of Steelers Wire or, or the Wire Network this week? We're going to see what comes up out of the Hall of Fame for sure. Um, <clears throat> that's a great thing, too. I'm, I'm a football junkie. I'm not just there for the Steelers. I, I love the, the history of the game. Um, I, I love now, especially because I, I really got a firsthand look at, at all these players. I got to see them uh, go out and compete and become the legends that they are. So uh, for me, yes, it's definitely you know exciting um, to, to be a Steelers fan and watch all of this. But there are a lot of great guys tonight. Uh, a lot of great sites that we have that are going to honor the players who were there. You know, I, I watching John Lynch, I think is kind of fun. Um, he had good, exciting film. If you're big into to hits and things like that, not a hundred percent sure. Um, John Lynch is the first guy I'm thinking of when it comes to the hall of fame, but uh, it, it, he's there. There's nothing really we can do about it now. Um, it, it's fun to see all of that. It's fun to see fans uh, sharing their stories about uh, different players uh, that they watched you know, in, in, in their youth, in their early adulthood, seeing these guys, um, you know, show up and, and uh, create their legacy. Peyton Manning, obviously, is somebody that we know very, very well. Um, seeing that on that stage one last time before that, that's kind of the end of it, you know, to, to reach that point, I think, uh, is a lot of fun. And we're trying to, to get that spirit across uh, to the audience on, on every site that we have that uh, has somebody going in tonight. I wonder if uh, Tom Brady will beat Peyton Manning tonight again in a Hall of Fame championship game. But, then, yeah, I just had to throw that in there <laughs> because he beat Peyton Manning and the Colts so often. But that's incredible, man. The Colts getting three guys in the Hall of Fame and, like, in the same week. And that battery of players was absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Edger and James, man, one of the most underrated players in that era. God, he was Marvin good. Harrison, and, I mean, that that's 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 mm. absolutely ridiculous. Yep. And don't, also, don't forget Charles Woodson. That That's yes. sadly somebody I, I just forgot to mention. I, I idolized Charles Woodson. Absolutely loved that guy. And he got better each year he played in the league. Just a, a, a true – all-time great, in my opinion. That guy, he, he played corner, he played safety. He just played defense, and he was good at it. He was good in coverage. He was good against the run, really smart. He was a playmaker. He tackled. Uh, Charles was a, a phenomenal player. It, it's amazing to me that he's just now getting in the Hall of Fame. That guy got drafted when I was in high school. <laughs> it's insane how long though. he played. He's first ballot, though, right? He just played yeah, yeah. so yep. long, yeah. Yep, yeah. He's you know, real quick story. years. Real quick story before we get out of here. I met C. Wood at a party, a real cool guy at a house party. Ironically, man, he's a tiny guy, man. Yep. C. Wood is not big at all. If you saw C. Wood, it was hilarious. The hilarious thing, because uh, he's an Ohio guy, mm-hmm. and he went to Michigan, and, and the cool thing about it was I was going back and forth, you know, of course, being a Steeler fan, you know, you know, first thing I'm saying is, what's up, C-Wood? Go Steelers, right? You know, that's the first thing. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm an obnoxious Steeler fan. And so, you know, we're going back and forth. He hates the Steelers. You know, I was like, oh, dude, you're from Cleveland. I get it. I mean, you're a Hall of Famer. And you still got a chip on your shoulder. You're from Cleveland. I understand. You know, everybody can't be from Pittsburgh. 
great dude. We're going back and forth the whole party, ripping each other. Um, and this was, I think, right after yeah, it's very close to when he retired because I think he was moving to Florida or something. He was getting ready to go work for Fox or one of the broadcasts or something like that. I think it was right after that. But a very cool, very humble dude, totally a Cleveland guy, big Cavs fan in the whole nine yards. But listeners, thank you for hopping onto the program. We went a little bit long, but I think it deserved it. It was a big weekend of football, big weekend at the Hall of Fame game and at the Hall of Fame ceremony. And the TJ Watt thing is real. I think it's a real thing that Steeler fans need to be a little bit concerned about. But with that, we're going to conclude the program. And as always, tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe.